Hi, and welcome to She Geeks Out, a podcast where we geek out about all the things. I'm Rachel. And I'm Felicia. Hey, Felicia. Hey, Rachel. How you doing? Um, you know, I'm, I'm doing. <laughs> so I learned a fun fact today. Uh, what was your fun fact? Uh, the murderer who killed George Floyd is still eligible for a pension of over $1 million. Yeah. Yep. Our system is, um, is pretty fucked up. I was about to say, can I say that? But it's our podcast. So I'm going to say it because <laughs> A, it's our podcast. B, it's the truth. Our system is really fucked up. I think, um, yeah, that's a fact that is in the world. And I think it's also why a lot of people are really upset right now because these are things that should not necessarily be the case. And, and yeah, and change it. Yeah. And I did not know until this morning also that um, police officers can qualify for overtime. And so they're more likely to do arrests at the end of the day so that they can do the paperwork that will then qualify them for significant amounts of overtime. So when people are talking about defunding the police, this is the kind of crap they're talking about. Yep, exactly. I mean, basically the way I've been thinking about it too is if at any point you've seen a picture, and I know there's a bunch of these pictures floating around right now, but a picture of our RoboCop people out there, plus pictures of our doctors and nurses in literal garbage bags, like that's the problem. It's not, I mean, I will say there is actually, there is a whole abolish the police movement too, but the defund the police movement is not necessarily about abolition it's about saying where are our resources going like this is taxpayer money so think about it you know you as a taxpayer you are paying for this stuff you're paying for police to ride around in literal teslas teslas i blame elon musk (laughs) (laughs) there's so many things to talk about so many places we could go with this um yeah how are you doing um yeah so we're recording this the day before this goes out so um, the world is, you know, currently still on fire. And, um, you know, there's not all doom and gloom. It looks like the Supreme Court made some decent decisions around protecting LGBTQIA rights. So that's, that's good, you know. Um, yes. So, yeah, but just sort of processing, you know, just continuing to process the, the stuff that we're doing and just really trying to stay focused and grounded and, and doing the work and grateful for you and grateful for the community that we have and grateful for opportunities to talk with other people around these issues and try to make some change. And I, you know, that change starts with awareness. So mm-hmm. that's me. That's my positive spin on it. How about you? How are you doing today? <laughs> um, well, it's a Monday morning. Um, we we had been talking a lot uh, earlier this summer, I should say, I guess it's summer, about um, the importance of taking some mental health days and um, we we do these summer Fridays. And so given that the past, I think, two, two weeks or so have been really crazy in the DEI space and certainly we're seeing a huge amount of influx in terms of people looking for help, looking for places to start. 
it was something that was really on top of my mind. You know, is it worth it to have these summer Fridays? <laughs> Do we throw it out the window? And, you know, I think there's a balance to be said there. Like there's, there's certainly a lot of good work that I think is, um, is needed at this point, but I also think it's still really important to, to keep our own, you know, sanity and emotional and physical and whatever well-being at the forefront. And it's a tough, it's a tough balancing act, right? So, you know, I, I took, I will, I'll say it's like a two and a half day weekend <laughs> and it was great. I got out, I did stuff, I stepped away from the internet. Um, so I'm feeling relatively refreshed right now, but you know, it's a uh, moment by moment. So, well, thank yeah. you for saying that. And, and I, I will say, I also, I, I have to tell you, this is the other reason why I'm I'm a little bit angrier than I normally am. So Saturday, we so Mark so Mark and I we talked about going for um, just to go to take a ferry over to Coronado, which is a lovely place. We haven't been there since before all this stuff happened, and we just wanted to have like a little bit of like a long walk and see the ocean, the beach, and stuff. And so and take the ferry, which we hadn't done in a while. So we took the ferry knowing that we were going to miss the protests that were happening um, on Saturday. And, you know, Mark really wanted to go and I really wanted to have that self-care time that you were talking about because we've, we've been doing this work for, you know, pretty consistently. So I was like, let me take a little bit of time. So Mark bowed to my request um, and we got on the boat and the boat left at one o'clock, which happened to be the same time there was a Trump boat parade, which we a, were then. What now? <laughs> it was a parade of boats with Trump flags. Ugh. It was. Sorry, it, no words. No words. And we were in the middle of it. And what was actually even more upsetting than the boats were all of the people on the sides cheering at the boats from, from land, you Ugh. know, and, and there were, you know, and it was upsetting. I mean, it was, it was upsetting to be on that boat and feeling helpless other than like giving the finger to people and like, you know, aggressively <laughs> wearing my vote mask, <laughs> which both Mark and I did. And it was really, you know, it was hard. There were black people on the boat too, like going and seeing this too. It wasn't, you know, it was just, and wanting to have a little bit of time away from all this stuff. And it's just like, Yep, here we are. We're in it. So that that happened. Sunday was better. We went on a hike. That was nice. <laughs> we didn't see any Trump flags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, I think that's the challenge, right? Is that there? I, I think. I know I've been hearing a lot of people, and even my circle, saying. Um, oh, I need to like get away, right? Yeah. Or like, I need to get out of New York or I need to not do stuff or step yeah. away. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's complicated because on the one hand, like the fact that you can turn it off is privilege, right? Totally. Because a lot of totally people aware. can never turn it off. And yes. I think a large percentage of our population is slowly realizing the stress and the toll and the... Yes all the stuff that that takes on, on your body and your health and your mental well-being. On the other hand, especially for those of us in this space, um, you know, that self-care and that healing time is so critical and so important. So it is, I think for me, it's like, 
when I take that time, I, I take it because I know I need it. But at yep. the same time, I always sort of have that mental little sort of check saying, you yep. know, this is a privilege, but I'm like, I am very privileged to be able to do this. Totally. And I'm totally really privileged aware. to be able to step outside. I have, you know, I have a supportive partner who cooks for me. I have outdoor space that I can sit on. I, you know, I, um, I just all these things that are in the life, but I also took a, I took a hike with my partner, Steve, on Saturday, I want to say. And so for those of you who are listening, um, we, my household has very long been a, a no car household for years and years and years. And so we recently were like, we need to get a car because we want to go to places that are not limited by how far we can walk. And I, especially in the last year or two, have had some, some health issues around with my feet and walking. So we got this really junky old car that already has had the brakes go out while I was driving it. It's fine now, but we drove out to this area really secluded. Um, and you know, we're out in this really gorgeous nature area, but it's so interesting because even in Massachusetts, which is, I think a pretty liberal bubble, it seems like people are just like, hi, coronavirus is over. <laughs> like we ended it. It's done. And, you know, and I'm out here like in the woods wearing my mask. And yes, if there were no people around, like we would take it down. But there are so many people out there who would come right by you and just like look at you and they have no mask. Not even the thing that really gets me, which is the the chin strap. <laughs> or like hanging from one ear or I saw someone wearing it the other day um almost like a corsage on their wrist <laughs> just like what is happening so that was a whole other layer too of just yeah. really feeling angry about where we are and what's happening in the world but trying to balance it out a little bit I know well I learned another term too going back to to what you were saying before about like the importance of taking self-care there's so I've been listening speaking of coronavirus I've been listening to um Bill Nye's The Science Guy podcast, which I highly recommend. And he had um, a woman on who was talking about um, health inequities uh, with regard to race um, or race inequities with regard to health. <laughs> um, and yes, the important thing is inequity with race and health. Um, and there was a term that I, that is, is important, I think, that really helped me really crystallize this feeling that you were talking about, which there's a term for it, it's called uh, weathering. So literally mm -hmm. like when you think about how a home gets weathered, you know, it starts to basically just slowly fall apart. It becomes mm -hmm. little bit by bit over time, over a long period of time. And that's, that is actually what is happening to people who have been discriminated, discriminated against their entire lives. It's a mm -hmm. slow, process that breaks people down essentially interesting i've never heard that before but i i definitely see it i like it in the sense of thinking about how it affects people um and then i guess to that point then then the, the self-care and the time that you need is doing maintenance on your on your house right <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly and 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 so and so for people like me who are just so much newer to it you know my house has been strong for so long and I'm starting to get a little bit of bumps and I'm like, well, oh, this is terrible. You're like, oh, <laughs> do we have the storm windows down? <laughs> Meanwhile, other people are out here with like the shingles flying off there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, I, I like that. I like that. Um, what is that? Like a metaphor? Yeah. An allegory? Sure. All over the box? Whatever. Yeah. I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And I think too, you know, um, one thing I've really been feeling a lot, especially the last couple of weeks was this idea, really, really hitting home this idea of what it is and what it means to hold space for other people, whether it's communities or people. And, you know, personally feeling really spread thin in a lot of areas because it's not just about, um, you know, one thing, right? It's not just about my friends or my family or my partner or the work or the community. It was sort of like everything all at once hitting all at once. And so, you know, so definitely trying to take some time, I think is critical. Uh, I've also been reading some research around how um, people who are always following the news are unhappier in life. Mm-hmm. And again, I think it's a balance. I don't mm-hmm. think it's an absolute binary type thing, but I also have been realizing how I've essentially retrained my brain to not be able to sit still and take in large amounts of information. So it's just, everything has to be bite-sized, right? It's like the Twitter, the Twitter, um, worldview. So everything has to be 140 characters, bite size, and then constantly scrolling. So another thing I've been really trying to use my weekends for is to just put the phone away and not be immune or completely cut off from the news because it's still, I think, really important to be aware of what's happening and to be plugged in to some extent, but to take time to allow my brain to just sort of rest (laughs) and think about other things and, you know, read a book and not have the phone next to you and start scrolling in between. (laughs) I'm definitely guilty of that. (laughs) Um, You know, and and think about other problems. Um, This will be maybe (laughs) a little bit off the beaten path, so to speak. But one thing that um, I realized was an issue. So when we were on this hike this, this weekend, because even though a large percentage of the population is like Corona's over, um, certain, you know, spaces are still pretty closed down. And so what that meant was that there were no restrooms available. And so we, we drove out there, we get to this place, we park and I'm like, I have to go to the bathroom really badly. (laughs) And there were no restrooms. So long story short, both Steve and I ended up peeing in the woods and (laughs) it was one of those things. Okay. you know, like going to put my brain power to use for a different kind of problem. Like uh, I have to deal with this situation. How does this work? What will I do? Like where, where will this take place? I love that you're like, I'm no longer going to use my Twitter brain for Twitter. I'm now going to use it to figure out how to pee in the woods. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it, it, it was a thing. It happened. I don't think anyone saw me. So, you know. <laughs> Thankfully, I didn't. There was a porter potty. I also always have to go like right when I get there. So <laughs> there was a disgusting porta potty, but it was it did the job. So that was good. Um, so we should talk about our guest. Yes. Yes, we're. This is a great conversation. We were so excited to meet Karen Catlin, who is our our podcast guest for today. Um, Karen, well, I mean, you'll hear all about her and, and learn all about her in our conversation coming up. But it was really wonderful to be able to finally connect. We've both been fans forever. Um, I think we should also make a note of saying that when we recorded this conversation, it was a few weeks ago. So if there's anything that kind of comes up in the conversation that doesn't necessarily seem fully relevant or completely up to date in terms of what's been going on in our world, then that is why. Um, So yeah. And and I would just add, if anything happens between Monday and Tuesday, uh, also, we will cover that uh, in the next episode, which P.S. will be 100, episode 100. So stay tuned. Oh my gosh, that. we're so close. I know, it's wild. 
I know. Let's see if we make it all together. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> I know. It's a crazy time. Um, yeah. Well, hope you all enjoy the rest of the episode. All right. We are live. Hey, Rachel. Hey, Felicia. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing? I'm great. And I'm especially great because we have an awesome guest on the podcast today. And um, Karen, welcome. Oh, it's so good to be here. Thanks for having me. We oh are so excited to have you here. <laughs> yeah, please go ahead, Felicia. <laughs> um, Rachel and I have been huge fans of you and your work for a long time. And so for those of you who are listening, our guest today is Karen Catlin. She's an author, a coach, and advocate for inclusive tech workplaces and workspaces. So thank you for joining us. You have had quite the journey. You spent 25 years in tech as a software engineer, a VP, and a CEO, and then you moved into leadership coaching, speaking, and advocating. And our listeners might be familiar with you as the force behind Better Allies. So could you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are today? Absolutely. So as you just mentioned, I... Um did work in tech. I have a computer science background, um, used to write code for a living, and over time I moved into leadership roles. Um, and most recently I was a vice president of engineering at Adobe. And during the 25 years I spent working in tech, building software products, um, which I absolutely loved. But during the 25 years I spent doing that, I noticed a decline happening in gender diversity. Because when I started my career a long, long time ago, there actually used to be more women getting computer science degrees. And there were a lot more, I'd say, people who looked like me, you know, sitting side by side with me in my workplaces and so forth. Um, and it did decline over time. And so while I was still at Adobe, I decided that I really had a role to play for women at our company in terms of making sure that they could um, feel that they could grow their career at Adobe. And so I started our women's employee resource group. I started mentoring a lot of women and I started basically advocating for gender diversity in various leadership meetings I was in, just where it seemed appropriate. Um, and I have to tell you, I love doing that work so much and not so much over time, my VP of engineering kind of work. So one of them kind of won out. And about seven years ago, I did a pivot with my own career so that I could start advocating for initially women, uh, advocating for women across tech, not just at Adobe, but across tech and doing that full time because I just love doing it. So as you mentioned, I'm a coach. I, I do leadership coaching. And I also do a lot of speaking and writing about inclusive workplaces, which aren't just inclusive of women, but people from any kind of underrepresented background, whether it's the color of their skin, their religious background, um, their abilities, their age, um, their sexual orientation and so forth. Um, I think we, we benefit when we have all sorts of people getting together to solve problems and to work together. And that's what I, I love facilitating and helping make happen. Love I'll stop that. there. Sorry, that no, was a lot. <laughs> that was not. It was absolutely perfect. And, you know, I, one thing that, that strikes me so much about, first of all, you know, we are longtime fans of your Twitter feed. We literally had no idea that there was a woman behind it. And it, I mean, I'll tell you, Felicia and I have had conversations where we're like, oh my God, did you see what was on Twitter by Better Male Allies? This is so good. We have to share this. Who are these guys? They're amazing. <laughs> and I think that we were like, we're happy that anyone is doing it, but I think we were a little sad. We felt a little deflated. There wasn't like an actual guy. 
<laughs> I know, I know. Okay, so I know it was a little deceptive on my part. I know, but but originally I I started it anonymously because I just I just didn't want to be associated with it. I wanted to have it be separate, a separate kind of brand and voice, and so it was anonymous. And then I adopted very quickly this first person voice in terms of I strive to do this, I pledge to do this. You know, the next time I see an interruption in a meeting. I will redirect the conversation back to a woman um, or back to the person who was uh, interrupted or um, things, just things like that. I was trying to imagine and channel so many of the men I had worked for and worked with and imagine, well, these are things that they could be doing if only they knew, Mm -hmm. if only they were aware of some of the challenges we face being underrepresented in the workplace. If only they knew and were aware of it, they could do these things. So it, it kind of just evolved in terms of this anonymous first person, I, I, I. And most people did think it was a man behind the scenes. Um, and I kept it anonymous. And some, I'll tell you, my partner, Tim, kept saying, Karen, stay anonymous, stay anonymous. Don't, don't let people know because it's going to lose some of maybe the allure or the magic or the mystique behind it. And so I did stay anonymous until I wrote my book, which is based on the Twitter handle. And that, at that point, when you write a book, like it's a lot of work. I wanted to get all the credit. And I, wanted, I wanted to basically own it that this had been me. Yeah, as you should. Um, and I want to just say, too, for anyone who's listening, so it is now Better Allies, correct? Yes. But it started off as Better Male Allies. Um, and so did it start off as just purely the Twitter feed or was the newsletter was that came after the Twitter feed? What was the sort of um, Genesis? Yes. Or- yeah. And I'll tell you that the Genesis started even before Twitter. Uh, Twitter was the real kind of launch. Um, I remember, maybe you remember this too, back in, I think it was 2015 at the Grace Hopper celebration, Mm -hmm. there was a male allies panel. I was there. You were there. Okay. I was there. Yes. I was watching it from afar, um, which was frustrating not to be in the room, but then um, I'll just summarize and please Felicia, you know, uh, hopefully I'm getting this right, but um, basically there were men who really do care about this topic of gender diversity on stage in a panel, but they really kind of missed the mark in terms of what they were saying, in terms of the kinds of things they thought women should be doing or that they should be doing for women in their tech workplaces. And um, ahead of time, there was a little bit of, uh, I'll call it just concern building that, hey, wait a second, what are men doing at taking away valuable stage time at the Grace Hopper celebration, which is all about women in computing? And why are they taking up this valuable stage time? And if these men are such great you know, male allies, why aren't their companies better at supporting gender diversity? And so a um, small group of women call, calling themselves uh, the Union of Concerned Feminists, so I think is the name, created a bingo card ahead of time of all the phrases they expected these men to say on stage that would actually reveal how far they had still to go before they were true allies and true supporters of gender diversity. And they handed this bingo card out to people as they walked into the panel. And of course, midway through the panel, a woman shouts out, bingo. Because yep. she got it all. You so yep. so. Did I get the story right? Yep, you are on the nail. You actually know more details than even I knew, and I was there. <laughs> okay, but yes, absolutely. I remember being there. I had the bingo card in my hand, 
the woman stood up, yelled out bingo. It was a whole thing. So can I just interrupt because I actually did not know about this story. And so I just went on, uh, on the internets and Googled it and there is a Twitter handle. So this is literally from 2015. This is five years ago. Um, fascinating. And now we are officially following them. Okay. We both already were. Just so you know, SGO wasn't, but you both individually were. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. So this bingo card happened. And when I heard about it, I must admit I was, oh, I don't know, it catalyzed me in a certain way because I thought to myself, wait a second, these men are actually, they're trying to do their best and they just don't get it. They just don't know. They just aren't aware yet. And to their credit, they ended up holding a reverse panel the next day where they basically were like, okay, we clearly don't know the issues and the topics. So we're going to have a reverse panel, which means um, we'll be the panelists, but we listen, you talk. Mm -hmm. um, so the audience came and talked and shared things and everything. Um, so anyway, these men, I think, really did care and do care. Um, yet they just, it missed the mark. So I was like, you know what we need? We need an aspirational version of that bingo card, a bingo card of all the phrases that we want our male allies to be saying for us. And so I sort of reached out to a few people in the women in tech community that I knew and said, what do you think of this idea? And people were like, go for it, go for it. And then I was connected with a software engineer who had been working at Google. She's now, I believe, at um, Automatic working on WordPress and so forth. Um, her name's Kate Houston. So Kate and I collaborated remotely. She, um, I believe, was based in Australia or somewhere. Um, and I'm in California. Anyway, we collaborated remotely, came up with this aspirational version of a bingo card. Um, and then wrote about it in the Daily Beast. Then another woman in tech said, hey, what you did is great, but let me make a, a better version of it in terms of the graphic design. So a woman named Kate Rotondo uh, took it over and made a beautiful, stunning design for it. And then we're like, cool, what do we do now? And so I was like, I need to make a Twitter handle. <laughs> and I, all it will be initially is to share the bingo squares. I'll just share them and see where this goes. And then I started finding more material. Um, you know, anytime something would be shared in the media about a challenge, a cautionary tale, a situation, or even research that's being done around equality in the workplace, anytime I'd see something like that, I'd think, ooh, here's what a an, an better ally could do with that information. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, a few years ago when everything was coming out about Uber and Susan Fowler wrote her incredibly important memo, um, soon after that it came out that, well, from her memo, it was like, okay, what, would a, what should a better ally do after reading Susan's memo? There was a lot. But just one thing was like, okay, I pledge to make sure that we, when we order team jackets, they will be in both um, men's and women's sizes or unisex sizes. I can't remember the exact tweet. Just like that type of thing to raise awareness that this is something you can do as an ally in the workplace, right? Um, then later that year, it came out that Travis Kalanick, who was still CEO of Uber at the time, he was using the nursing mother's room for his personal phone calls, which of course means the women can't get in there when they need to, right? So I, of course, go to Twitter and tweet and sometimes I get a little snarky, as maybe you know. Um, you what know, we I love. That's what we love, Karen. So. <laughs> I need more of the snark, I think, sometimes. Okay. Yes, um, bring the snark. <laughs> bring the snark. Um, so my snarky comment after reading about Travis Kalanick was, uh, you know, I pledge not to use the nursing mother's room for my personal phone calls. 
period than like unlike Travis um, or at Travis or whatever his twi Twitter handle is. Um, and You're then like, no, no subtweeting for Travis. I will just put it out there front and center. <laughs> you bet, you bet. So this little Twitter handle, I'll just share with you. It started growing in popularity and people, Rachel, Felicia, people like you found it. You probably tagged some friends and told people to follow it. You retweeted for me. Thank you. Um, because what happened then is I started getting speaking engagements. Oh, wow. Awesome. Anonymous Twitter handle started getting speaking engagements. That's so amazing and crazy. <laughs> and also, I wondered, did they think that you were a guy? And was that oh, one of the reasons yeah. why? Yeah. Actually, oh, my God. This have, is fascinating. Do you have any, like, surprise? Hey, it's me. Oh, my yeah. God. Oh, yeah. Felicia. Felicia, I have a new idea. Okay. We need to get you a new name, a new pseudonym, a male name. Fred Jadzak. <laughs> Well, um, really, really quick, super side story, and then I, I want to hear how the initial reaction went once you did get these speaking engagements. Um, I, this is totally not related, but kind of, um, I have, still have an anonymous Instagram handle, which is focused on posting pictures of graffiti in the greater Boston area, and people think I'm a man, and so I not so much anymore because I'm not super active at this point because I have like five different Instagram handles and I have a million other things to do. But I would constantly get people DMing me being like, hey, bro, let's go like hit on girls and like drink beers and like, you know, get high in the woods. And I'd be like, maybe later. <laughs> oh my gosh, that, that fantastic. I love it. I love it. But um, yeah, Fred. Yeah, we'll just start calling it Fred. Um, I mean, whatever works, right? Whatever works. So speaking engagements started coming in, and they would usually be a direct message saying, hey, anyone at the Better Allies Initiative do any public speaking because we have this event coming up? And so, of course, my first reaction was the Better Allies Initiative, really? It's like, it's just me doing a little bit of tweeting on the side, right? So that was sort of a nice compliment. And then, of course, because I wanted to stay anonymous, I would respond with, um, yes, one of our contributors does public speaking. We'll put you in touch with her. <laughs> so, and of course, That's I'd amazing. <laughs> and I go to my personal Twitter account, DM them, and say, "Hey, I'm Karen Catlin. I contribute to Better Allies. What did you have in mind? You know, I love public speaking." Um, so I started speaking about it, and then inevitably, when I would give a talk, there'd be the Q and A afterwards, and people would always, someone would always ask. Hey, Karen, um, we want more of this. Do you have a book? And I, for a few years, I'm like, no, I don't have a book. I don't have a book. I don't have a book. And then so finally, I did write my book. And so as you know, I, I wrote the book Better Allies, Everyday Actions to Create Inclusive, Engaging Workplaces. And I published it January 2019, so about a year and a half ago now. Um, and certainly in 2019, I had such a great time traveling across the country, as well as doing podcasts and Zooming into meetings and so forth to speak about Better Allies. Um, now in 2020 and in the pandemic, that we're all dealing with. I'm doing everything virtually, um, but I still just so love speaking about this topic and getting more people to understand that being an ally and creating an inclusive workplace doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be exhaustive. It doesn't have to be more than being, you know, taking a few of these ideas and just contributing what you can to the everyday interactions you have at work. I love that idea. Um, thank you for sharing that. And, and I, I want to talk a little bit more about that. But I, I also want to go back because I'm, I'm kind of curious. 
did the people who asked you about speaking engagements, did they ever say, no, I actually really want a, a male speaker? So, so I did get some surprises and so I, I really thought it was a guy behind it. Um, one, and I'll just share with you another, maybe two more surprises along those lines and then answer your question too. I remember I was at a meetup in San Francisco a few years ago and someone was at the same meetup and I was on Twitter, of course, as one does at, at meetups and I was tweeting different things. And I had wanted to meet this man who had been a really good supporter of Better Allies just through Twitter. And I, so I DM'd him and said, hey, we're at the same event. Uh, I see you're tweeting about this meetup. Um, can we get together during the break? I'd love to you know, introduce myself. And he wrote back, sure. And I'm like, okay, I'm the one wearing the red poncho, <laughs> which is what I had on. It was a red poncho. And so while that um, might be something a man would wear. It tends to be more of something we women uh, might put on. And so anyway, he got, he, we found each other during the break and he, he really said, I thought you were a dude. Like that was the first thing out of his, his, his lips. So that was just sort of funny. I'll also share with you that I have a good friend. Um, I'll say her name, first name, Annie. Annie and I used to walk um, frequently on Friday mornings, like, and just share professional ideas. And we were in a, on a nonprofit board together. Anyway, at some point, and Annie has a podcast. Annie said, yeah, I, I'm thinking about some new guests for my podcast. There's this person. And then, hey, by any chance, do you know anyone who works on that Better Allies um, <laughs> Twitter handle? Because I'd like to invite them. And I thought she was pulling my leg. Like, I thought she knew it was me. And so I was like, oh, yeah, I know them. Um, you want me to introduce you? And she's like, you do? Yeah, really. And then I realized she didn't know. And I'm like, Annie, like, it's me. It, like, I'm better allies. And she was floored. She had no idea. So that was just sort of fun. I'll just, I'll just share. And she also thought it was a dude. Um, there was one speaking engagement that I know I didn't get because I was a woman. And they wrote back and like, well, do you have any men on the team? <laughs> really? And, and it was because they thought the message might be better perceived, yeah. better received if it were a man delivering it. And so it's fine. Whatever. I think a lot. Well, I think a lot about that. I think we th we think about that too when it comes to facilitation and and speaking and and who who is delivering that message and how that comes across. I'm sure Polisha can talk more about that. So it is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, we even we even experienced that. So as I'm sure you know, our name is She Geeks Out, um, very feminine, and we have discussed many, many, many times, do we change it? Do we update it? Especially as our own business has grown and evolved over the years. Um, for the time being, it is what it is. And it's a nod to our history where we started. But when we started doing this work, um, we definitely had potential clients push back and say, you know, it's, we don't want to just talk about gender. We want to talk about racial diversity. We want to talk about ability. We want to talk about all these other things and your name is so feminine. And we knew that that was something that was not necessarily helping us in the very beginning, for sure. So we hear that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that's a perfect segue actually to Felicia's question. One of the questions that we had for you, which is about the, the switch to just having it be better allies. Since, yeah. Was that one of the reasons why? Um, so I'll, <laughs> here's, here's a funny backstory here. So when I talked back out. We worked on this bingo card. Kate and I worked on it and I was on a call with Kate and I was like, I want to create a Twitter handle, but male allies is taken already. It was already taken. And she's like, well, better allies is available. And so that's how we actually came up with better allies is Kate had the foresight of, of naming it that. Um, and so actually, so the Twitter handle has always been better allies. However, I think that maybe the 
the profile name or whatever might have been better male allies because I was emphasizing that this was you know uh, aimed at men being allies for the in the workplace um, but I soon I and I started just being paying more attention to what inclusion means and realizing yeah my primary lens because I am a woman who has worked in tech that is the lens I approach all this stuff through but I have it so easy compared to some people who are from other underrepresented groups, as I said before, you know, because of their race, ethnicity, um, uh, sexual orientation, abilities, and so forth. So I have done my best to expand my focus and think about people from all sorts of underrepresented groups as I do my tweeting, as I do my newsletter, as I wrote my book. Um, but if you look at my work, it's definitely still heavily focused on gender. Um, but I, I, my, I strive to have that be more balanced to, as I said, be inclusive of all sorts of people. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So I guess the, the next question is really, is it still you or is there actually a team behind the initiative at this point? <laughs> so it's, it is mostly me. I have a team that helps with um, my newsletter. So I have an editor and someone who does the formatting and, and just mail list management for me. Um, and I'm just starting to work. Um, we'll see, I, I'm confident this will work out well, but I'm just starting to work with a graphic designer on some of my content as well. And I'm super excited to get the first delivery of her work um, in the next couple of days. Love that. And of course, with writing a book, you have a team of people um, in terms of editing support and book yeah. cover design and um, proofreading and copy editing and, and, and so. Yeah, I would, I would love to hear about the book writing process. It's something that Felicia and I were actually talking, have, have talked about for years, you know, someday, maybe we'll write a book. <laughs> Yeah, that didn't come quite just yet for us, but. <laughs> Do you know what your book will be about? Is it, will she, you know, she geeks out or? Yeah, I think we, you know, we've had a couple of ideas, um, you know, and one is more on the community side, I think, and one is more on the diversity inclusion side. And I would say on the community side, it would be through telling the stories of, we had this uh, blog series for a little while, Unsung Women's Project, which is just lifting up these incredible stories of women that you've never heard of doing remarkable things. Um, so sort of telling those stories and I'll let Felicia share her DEI thoughts. Yeah, I mean, we just, we've had a lot of ideas, um, but I think that's part of the problem is that we don't have a, like a single yeah. soul, like thing that we can get behind. Yep. And, you know, also just growing a small business, we're like, <laughs> when? it's, it's in the ideas list that we haven't, that we never quite get time to really sit down and think about, but. I get it. Um, <laughs> I've yeah. been there, done that, been there, done that. Well, but yeah, actually, so let's, let's maybe hear more about the process. Like, how does that work? Like, how did it come about? What did it actually look like to put the book together? We'd mm -hmm. love to learn more about that. Sure, sure. So I took a couple of runs at writing this book before I was successful. I'll share with you. And I'd be like, okay, December is kind of slow for my coaching business. I'm going to write all of December. Mm -hmm. And I'd sit down and I'd, you know, draft a couple chapters and then I'd hit some, you know, writer's block, some wall, uh, the holidays would come, whatever. And then I put it aside and then it'd be like, I'm going to take a two week break in the summer and just focus on that book. And I'd write, write, write. And then I'd hit a wall. And so this went on for a little while. Um, all, yet in parallel, I was 
writing my newsletter. So I was still forming different ideas and concepts and putting together very short form versions of what I was thinking and publishing that, um, which is actually a really good discipline for helping you figure out what kind of content sticks, how you wanna share things, what stories. I mean, so much of writing a book, especially a nonfiction book is, um, it, it comes to life when you can tell stories. And so you can't just, I don't know, I can't just sit down and just like, I'm gonna write all the stories about these things that are relevant. I need to spend time thinking about that. And through the course of writing my newsletter, different stories would surface and percolate and I would start recording them. So I tried to write the book, took a couple runs, was still writing my newsletter. And then I was listening to a podcast and I don't even remember whose it was, but the, the guest said that for them, when they need to accomplish something big, they know they have to spend money. Because when they spend money on something and make an investment, they will make it happen. And I said to myself, oh, I need to do that. What I need to do is find a developmental editor, give her a big down payment, and force myself to work with somebody who can help make this happen. So I found a great developmental editor who took my, you know, we worked together on my table of contents that I had sort of been forming. She helped me reorganize it, point out some things that maybe were missing, then started editing my, my, the chapters I had written and then helped me drive towards finishing the rest of the chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a really great collaborative process. Um, and then I decided to self-publish uh, because the, I wanted to get my book out quickly. <laughs> of course, should have done it two years before when I'd started it. But anyway, once I, once I was getting so close to like, I just want to get it out quickly because this content is so important and timely. And I'd heard horror stories from people who had gone traditional publishing that it can take like two years from the time you finish your manuscript to getting it actually into bookstores. So I decided to self-publish. And from the time I wrote that check for the developmental editor to the time my book was available in on Amazon was, I think, seven months. So it was pretty quick, oh, I think. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so anyway, that's, that's a choice I made um, and super happy with it. Yeah. So that's excellent. I'm, well, and we'll definitely include a link to it as well. So it's, it's such important it's such important information for people to have. And I really love your point that you had mentioned earlier and it's related to the book is that it's just people making these small changes. Um, you know, I think we struggle with it a lot because we try to take this, this very large macro approach um, to the work and it can, there's, there's so many benefits to doing both, I think. Um, is looking at the work from a, this large macro sense where there's this, a, a huge historical context there's so much in there and then sometimes it's like you also just really need to be focused on the actions like what are things what are what things can people actually do and so we try to straddle both so it's it's really important work for sure yeah i want to tell you karen um so i think rachel and i have both been on your newsletter very very early on and so i still get it whenever it comes out in my email inbox and um and i used to star them because they were always just full of such good information and then i one day realized i had this folder that's just got your newsletter in it and i was like the whole thing is starred i have to stop (laughs) starring them because they're all good like i already know this at this point i don't have to start in my gmail (laughs) but it's such good actionable information i think that's what a lot of people struggle with right is they're like okay i want to do i want to show up i want to be an ally but what do i actually do and that's really great that you're giving some really concrete tips and strategies and and things that people can start doing so appreciate that um 
I was curious. So you mentioned actually, I think before we even started recording that you're currently recording an audiobook. Is that the audiobook version of the self-published book or is that something totally different and new? It, um, so I finished recording the audio version of Better Allies. So, um, so, but this is my recording studio for what the work I did do for that. So that's available up, up on Amazon. Yeah. Awesome. Amazing. Um, so let's go back to some, you know, want to make sure that our, that our listeners really have a good understanding of what allyship really means. Um, I think, you know, people have a vague sense. We'd love to hear your definition of what, what allyship looks like. Right, right. It's so simple. It is using your position of power or privilege to help other people when it comes right down to it. Um, and helping means making a more equitable workplace, making a place, uh, environment, a culture where everyone can really do their best work and thrive. Now, um, in my book, I do have this one chapter, though, where I explore this whole concept of being an ally or a white knight riding the horse in to save the day. Mm-hmm. And I'll, if you, I'll spend just a minute talking about the difference here because I think it's important. Well, it's always fine to think like, you know, what? I just noticed this one person needing, you know, a little bit of support, a little bit of whatever. Um, I can do that. That's great. And I don't want to discourage anyone from taking action if they see someone who could benefit from you using your privilege to help them out. But the better thing is to make sure you're looking for systemic change that will benefit more than just that one person. And here's an example. An example is maybe you're on a hiring committee talking about candidates and someone the feedback might be about, say, a man of color. We'll call him Willie. Um, you know, I don't think Willie's quite right. I don't think he's got what we need. You know, you hear that. And as an ally, you may think, well, hey, tell you what, I really believe in Willie. I think he's the right person. So I'll offer to mentor Willie and make sure he is successful once he's come, right? Great ally move, it sounds like, right? And I agree, it is good. Yet better would be to look at changing the interview process so that you're using more objective criteria and maybe a rubric for actually evaluating candidates rather than falling into a trap which happens very very frequently of that culture fit trap of i just don't think he'd be good here i don't think he'd fit in i don't think he'd be successful well why not you know so that would be more of a stronger ally move is changing some systemic thing that's in place an interview process and changing it so it's more equitable for everybody who's going to be coming through there, not just, not just Willie. I love that. And I love that it's, that's better allies. Yeah. <laughs> like perfect. Has your definition and understanding even of allyship changed over time? Sure. And it changes, and I'll say it's changed even frequently with this pandemic. It changes because privilege is something that I'm still learning about myself. Now, privilege is something I think that most of us get a little defensive when it's pointed out because we think if someone's saying I'm privileged, it sounds like I'm some lazy person who's had all the benefits in the world given to me. And really privilege is just a system. It's, it's a set of privileges or a set of beliefs or a set of circumstances that you're in because you're part of some demographic. So I sure I am an underrepresented person in tech because I'm a woman, but I'm white. I have a college degree. I have a computer science degree. I have so many things that give me privilege that 
yeah, I worked hard for, I earned in many cases, um, you know, going to school, putting myself through school, working hard to get that degree. Yet at the end of the day, it's not when someone points that out, like Karen, of course you could do that with your career because you have a computer science degree, you know, something like that. Like when they point that out, I shouldn't get defensive about the hard work that went into there. It's just like, yeah, it gives me privilege. Absolutely. You're right. Um, now, so what I've learned in getting back to your question, Felicia, about what I've learned about being an ally is this privilege, this definition of privilege is so wide, um, uh, uh, wide ranging. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> and for example, I was talking to someone at a meetup once who was, um, we, were, we were talking about the, the speaker who had just spoken, blah, blah, blah. And she said, you know, there are so many things that I wasn't able to do earlier in my career because I was supporting a sister I, that who was living with me who had some disabilities that prevented her from going to work. So I couldn't afford to go on that whitewater rafting trip that was you know being organized for the Saturday, you know, sometime as a team building event. Um, and understanding financial privilege is a whole nother level that I must admit back when I was working on that bingo card, you know, I just, that was not part of what I was thinking of at all. And then comes the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And as I started talking to people and talking to coaching clients and, and understanding like, oh my gosh, I have so much privilege in this pandemic because I have a home office with a, an adjustable desk with a chair that's comfortable. Um, I have enough money on the, you know, in the bank to, you know, see me through any dips in my business, um, on and on and on. And so understanding that um, that kind of privilege has helped me be a better ally as I think about what I've been sharing in my newsletter lately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that. Just recognizing the privilege and using it to leverage your work as an ally. That's so important because I think especially when we are sometimes confronted with our privileged identities, depending on how much work people have done themselves, it can become almost a source of shame or, you know, that defensiveness, right? I worked for this, I earned this. And it, as you said, you did work for things, but that doesn't mean that the privilege didn't still, it wasn't still a factor or may have been, you know, helpful to you in, in certain yes. ways. Yeah. Totally agree. And I think it's a, this is a nice little segue to um, another question that we had around, um, Sue mentioned sort of the, the privilege of, of being able to work remotely in our, in um, having some advantages there. Um, given what's happening in the world right now, I'm curious to know what challenges uh, you see for the tech industry, particularly re with regard to allyship, especially as we're seeing more and more people working remotely. Mm -hmm. So, many things um and i'll say they are opportunities for allies um that are in some ways they're similar to what was happening before when we had in-person offices and in-person meetings but there there are new opportunities as well um for example i saw research recently that said and i think it was just in the month of april workers were surveyed and 40%, 40%, 40 said that their employer had not gotten in touch with them to ask how they were doing during the crisis. Oh, really? And that, you know, of course, what that means is they feel less engaged. They feel less, um, you know, valued. They, they feel like no one really cares about me. So as an ally who's thinking maybe about, well, do I still, should I still be networking with people? Should I still be broadening my network at my company? Or is this like not the time? Are people all zoomed out? Yeah, sure. 
there's a lot of um, video meetings going on, but this is also a great opportunity to reach out, potentially do skip, a lo skip level kind of meetings with um, your team if you're in a management position and reach out to people and just ask them how they're doing, right? And is there anything that you as a person at the company can do to make it a little bit easier for them to get their work done and to basically um, deal with you know, additional caregiving responsibilities, additional anxiety and stress and so forth. So to me, that's um, one thing. Um, another thing we're hearing so much about mental health concerns that are caused by all of this. And so, um, you know, a very simple thing would be make sure you have, if, if your company has any kind of, um, uh, I forget the term, uh, but assisted assistant care, like um, for employee, what are they called? EAPs. Oh yeah, like an EAP program. Yeah, EAP program. Um, you know, if you have one of those, bookmark it, maybe share it, maybe put it in a Slack channel. Um, just like want people to know about this resource without having to, you know, have people then have to go ask about it or hunt around for it. Another simple ally move. Um, another thing. So interruptions I mentioned at the very beginning is just like a classic thing that happens that um, tends to happen more to women than to men, interruptions being interrupted in a meeting. And so interruptions can happen very easily in Zoom or whatever video technology you're using, um, as well as it, as much as it can around a physical table. So making sure that you insist people raise their hand, whether that's visually with, um, you know, when they want to speak, they raise their hand so you can see them as the moderator, or there's maybe some video kind of conferencing support that allows you to have people raise their hand when they want to speak. Like institute that as a new best practice. Anyway, I'll leave it there. I think that there are so many opportunities, but there's just a couple. You know, and it's, I'm glad that you mentioned the last one because I've been thinking a lot about um, the, the video meetings and how they're so different now with the with chat functionality yeah. and how people can, you know, chat like, hey, Karen just said something really great. It's, it's so great that she that she said that first before Bob did. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a lot of snark there, but yes, I agree. <laughs> I agree. I don't know who um, Bob is, by the way, but he just yeah, just some some dude. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. So the better allies approach would be, you know, I look to amplify people in yeah. video meetings by using the chat function to um, repeat and amplify what what she just said. Yeah. Well, much <laughs> well better said. said. Well much said. more articulate than whatever came out of my mouth. So thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for letting me um, uh, give you a suggestion. You've given us so many great tips. Um, you know, we were going to wrap up with asking you as one of our last questions for some tips, but I think we've already covered a ton. Um, I have maybe what might be uh, an unauthorized question. So um, I'm just gonna put it out there. We'll see. We can always cut this out if we need to. Um, I'm, but I'm curious. <laughs> I'm curious what your thoughts are. Um, you mentioned Uber earlier and Susan Fowler and all, all the stuff around that. Um, and there are these companies out there, especially in tech, that are you know toxic or especially given in what's going on right now things are happening uh, i'm thinking of tesla as one example where elon musk is literally asking his employees to break the law knowingly and i'm curious as um taking this this ally lens and looking at these these crazy toxic companies 
do you have any thoughts on whether it is better to try and be working as an ally internally to try and change culture from within? Or is it better to leave and say, I don't want to perpetuate this toxicity or what's going on? Any thoughts around that? And if you want to not answer, we could also just totally cut this whole part out. No, no, no. I'm happy to go off script, so to speak. Not that we had a script, but you know what's interesting? So I believe it was last week there was an Amazon VP who resigned over how workers were being treated, especially in the Amazon warehouses and the shipping fulfillment um, part of their business, and resigned in a very um, loud way, I'll call it, in terms of a, a Medium post that got picked up by media. And um, and that's definitely a good, you know, it's, it's an effective approach. It's a whistleblower approach where you're just going outside and, you know, blowing the whistle about it. Um, it certainly worked well for Susan Fowler to be able to write, the, write what she wrote that catalyzed so much attention and change. Yet there are people who are doing really good work from internally, and sometimes that's going to be the best approach too. So I, I think that each person has different levels of, um, I'll call it risk that they're willing to take around their own career, their own reputation. And if also, if they want to use that risk internally, not risk, but if they want to burn up some of their credibility that they've earned in potentially going against the popular culture norms that are forming um, and calling things out internally, that's great too. I think it's a very personal decision. Mm. Great. Thank you for that. That's lovely. Um, so looking ahead, what's the big vision? <laughs> so yes, this is exciting. So one thing is I will work on a second edition of Better Allies. Um, probably had to have it published, and I, I don't have a date yet, but roughly two years after the first one came out, which means I should start working on it now. But there's been so much that's happened in terms of things that I have collected through the newsletter that I want to just like, I want to put it all in one place for people to use as the handbook that it is. Um, and so I, I wanted to work on that. Um, I'll probably also, I'll I think we're going to be dealing with this pandemic and had the impact on the workplace for a long time still. And so I'll probably include a chapter about um, things you can be ways you can be better allies um, for people during a pandemic. Hopefully it's not, it's, it, it, hopefully it will be the only one we have to be dealing with. <laughs> At any rate, the other thing I'll share with you too, and I'm excited about this and totally like not formed yet as an idea, but one thing I did do earlier this year is I wrote a very short guidebook called The Better Allies Approach to Hiring. And it expanded on the chapter that's in Better Allies about the hiring process. And I, I collected so many more best practices and, and created, it just, it's a short guidebook. It's um, sort of 70 pages. And I'm trying to think about what the next one should be. What, if I create another domain specific or very topical better allies approach to something. And I'll tell you, and this is, makes me so happy, I have been hearing from people who are healthcare professionals, emergency room doctors, just primary care physicians, that they've read Better Allies, and it's helped them be better allies for their patients, mm -hmm. as well as the interactions they have with other doctors that they practice mm -hmm. with and that they're um, uh, interacting with. And it makes me excited to think about maybe we need to do the better allies approach to caregiving, to health caregiving. Mm, yeah. um, and I know like it would be definitely me stepping out of my comfort zone. I would be having to do a lot of interviews, getting experts to provide um, the 
guidance and the insight to make it and the stories, frankly, to make it all come together. So it'd be a very different writing style for me. So I haven't committed to it yet, but it's noodling, you know, back here in the brain. Uh, that would be so helpful. I mean, that's a, it's such an industry that's, I know, uh, ripe for change. So yeah, I say do it. Now, so important. Yeah. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Um, we're going to switch gears a little bit. Um, we would love to know what your favorite way to practice self-care is, especially given it's probably very top of mind in these days. <laughs> yes, I love getting exercise in fresh air. And the fresh air has been incredibly important lately. I live in Northern California. So even from the very start of the pandemic, we've had pretty nice weather. I get out every day for either a nice long walk or I've had access to a tennis court. So I've been playing tennis, bike riding, anything to get outdoors and get some exercise. So that's, that's been um, my saving grace during all of this. Um, and unfortunately, I have a partner who is more athletic than me and pushes me every day to do even more. So um, it's been great. Oh my God. First of all, I didn't realize you were in Northern California. I'm in Southern California. Aren't we lucky? Yes. Um, and yes. Uh, secondly, you're lucky because I love, love my husband, but man, getting him to exercise, <laughs> brutal. Okay. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Same boat. <laughs> Please, like, how, about, how about I bake you some treats while you exercise? <laughs> this is why this pandemic is not going well. <laughs> it's the COVID-19. Everything really is. Um, so, and then just our final question, which we love to ask everyone is, what are you geeking out about that has nothing to do with work? Oh, nothing to do with work. Okay. The artist Jacob Collier. Okay. He is in his in his twenties. He is amazing. He's an amazing vocalist and he has these videos of him singing that he puts together. So he's doing multiple tracks. He has people send in snippets of them singing something that aren't always very good. And he does some sort of magic and overlays his voice onto these really actually sometimes pretty poor voices and creates this amazing music. And the reason I even know about Jacob Collier right now is my son, who is a college senior, poor guy, missing out on his senior yeah. spring, um, about to graduate virtually, but he's been home with us for the last two months. And this is one of his favorite artists. So I've been learning all about his favorite music. We've been doing tiny desk concert watching, um, oh, NPR okay. tiny desk. Um, and, watching a lot of uh, these Jacob Collier videos. So there, I'm geeking out about that. I love that. Uh, well, we are at the end of our time. Thank you so much for geeking out with us, Karen, and sharing everything and all your knowledge. Um, where can people find you if they want to learn more? Um, anything else that you'd like to plug beyond the book um, or anything that you've already mentioned? Um, yeah, so I have, I, thank you. I've had so much fun. This has been a a great time. In fact, just before we hopped on this recording, I tweeted out like I've been looking forward to this all week to talk Aww. to you both. So thank you. Oh, that's so nice. Um, I did not see that, but yeah, thank and here you. it is, Friday <laughs> afternoon for us all. Um, it's just it was it's a good way to end my week, and um, and people can find me. I have two websites. I have betterallies.com and I have karencatlin.com, and I both of them have a contact page, and you can reach me either way. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being a part of this. It was a true pleasure. And we hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. You too. We'll do this again. And if you yeah. want to talk about book uh, authoring, let me know. We can just hop on a call sometime. I'd love to tell you more about that.
we love will it. maybe hopefully one day take you up on that. <laughs> all right. Bye. Bye. Thanks to all our listeners for spending some time geeking out with us. If you enjoyed listening, please rate and review us on iTunes. Every review helps. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next interview. And tell all your friends. New episodes drop every Tuesday. (laughs) Check us out at She Geeks Out on all the things. And in case you're wondering what those things are, they are Twitter, Insta, FB, otherwise known as Facebook, LinkedIn, and our website, of course. Bye, Rachel. Bye, Felicia. Bye, Felicia.